Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. on symbols and rights, R-I-T-E-S, not R-I-G-H-T-S. Those are different. But we are going to be talking about some of the things that we utilize in Christianity, and in some cases the United Methodist Church specifically, to convey a message. These are things that have come to us through our faith, sometimes through our scriptures. Sometimes they were cultural or more traditional. And all of these were things that at some point in the life of the body of Christ were so powerful and profound that people connected to them and felt that they helped to convey something worthwhile or positive about our faith. Just as I shared the plate, that was a symbol of this congregation, this church, and that pastor's time in ministry. We are sharing things with the world, sometimes whether we're aware of it or not, or sometimes we mean to share one thing and mistakenly share another. So it's appropriate for us to look at why we do what we do. And in fact, today from the book of Exodus, you heard God telling God's people through Moses, not only to adopt a right, but then to make sure that they explain exactly what it means. And for those of us that are Christians in this day and age, sometimes it's really kind of icky, to be honest with you, to read the Passover experience, right? This idea that we're going to slaughter a lamb and then take the blood that we've drained from it, because that's how you do a kosher slaughtering, and then use that to paint our doorframe. Most of us would be out when it said you had to slaughter something, and the vast majority of us would be like, even if we were going to eat that, I'm not painting my door with blood. That's gross. And the reason that this story is here is that it was literally something that they were told to do, but there is also symbolism in the entire story. And a lot of you might be thinking to yourselves, we're not Jewish, why are we focusing on the Passover? But as our gathering liturgy said, we are a people who have come from the Passover. And it was at the Passover Seder, that sacred meal, that Jesus sat down with his disciples and transformed the Seder into a sacrament. And from that, we as Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, are able to literally taste the grace of God. And because of that, we can't really appreciate all the nuances unless we go back to the beginning. And this story was something that was given as an identity. Sometimes we don't think about that because we're really just kind of grossed out. I mean, how many of you stopped paying attention in the opening hymn when we got to the point where now we should eat his flesh and drink his blood? Right? Yep. Yeah, thank you for owning that. That that was like, okay, that was a little creepy. Some of you were like, we said that? <laughs> right? Because you're just singing along? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Charles Wesley, who was an ordained Anglican priest and one of the founders of what became the movement known as Methodism, wrote that. And so I felt like I owed it to Charles for us to sing that. 
But even up here when we were practicing, we were kind of questioning like, it's like painting blood on your doorframe. But why do we say that? Why, and of course, you'll notice that I don't usually use those words because most of you would be like, Ugh. but I can tell you from my time in ministry since 2006, there is almost always some child at some point during the year that comes up and looks in that cup and is like, uh-uh, you said blood. And they look at it just like that. I'm like, you don't have to have the cup. They're like, all right, I'm just going to take my piece of Jesus and get out of here because you got weird things going on in your cup. And it's true. We are using it, vivid imagery and asking people to look beyond what we're, using, what we're saying. So, for instance, with the Passover lamb, the idea was that households, familial households, which were bigger than ours are generally today, they would include multiple generations, and sometimes they would include siblings whose entire families lived under the same household. Think of it as Thanksgiving all year round. Everybody in the same house, right? Some of you are like, oh, wow, yeah. And so all of them would be there, and so they would slaughter an entire lamb to feed everybody. And you weren't allowed to have any leftovers, so this is not like Thanksgiving in that regard. You had to consume all of it, or it had to be completely incinerated. You had to, to get rid of it. You couldn't just let it go. And so you would have this lamb... And you would slaughter it, as was kosher. You would drain it of its blood. And then you would have to roast the entire thing, which was not how they normally prepared lamb. And then you would take that blood, and you were being asked to paint your doorframe with it. Now, you know that if you have unfinished wood, that anything that liquid that gets on it is going to leave a mark, a stain, right? So picture unfinished wood, and you paint it with blood. It is now permanently bloodstained. Right? Sometimes if you're in the middle of something or you're not paying attention and the varnish is worn off of something, you can get coffee on it. You can get some other kind of liquid or something else to leave a mark in that wood. And that was God's intention. God was asking the people to choose to mark themselves. Not just so God would see them, but that the world would know. All of the Egyptians would be able to look out the next day and see the people of God who had declared outwardly and visibly that they were God's people, that the God of Israel had not only claimed them, but saved them. And so that became their symbol. Now, our modern siblings of faith, the Jews, don't do this. They recognize it in other ways. I'm sure they're just as unsure about slaughtering a lamb and painting their doors as we are, but they do remember that it was by the blood of the paschal lamb that they were saved. And if we are going to truly understand what it is that Jesus was saying at this meal when he told people to eat this bread that is my body and drink this wine that is my blood, then we need to recognize that Jesus, who we sometimes refer to as the lamb of God, is the Passover lamb for Christians. And he too took his blood and stained the wood. And long after they removed his body, his blood remained in the cross. And in fact, if you think back to some of the texts that we would read on Good Friday, which I know for a lot of us is, are really difficult and painful to read, if you go back and read those gospel accounts of the crucifixion, what you find is 
that Jesus had so emptied himself of his blood that when one of the Roman soldiers came to see if he was dead, he poked him with his spear and water came out for there was no more blood in his body. He had completely emptied himself out for us because blood is life and blood for the Passover lamb is salvation. It was for God to look and say, this person wants to be mine and so the final plague will not touch them. And the blood of the cross is the same. We claim Christ. We claim the cross. We claim that so that by his blood we are saved. And I know that that gets a little weird. There are some hymns, and this isn't even one of them, that make us feel a little icky, right? Try singing There's a Fountain Filled with Blood with Sixth Graders. Right? And they're going... Was Jesus asking us to be a vampire? What's with this like drinking blood thing, right? And they're trying to wrestle with it because it doesn't seem right. And so we have to explain what it means. And even though some of us were like, oh, that's a weird line, most of us were like, well, it's in the hymnal. It's got to be right. And I trust that if it's in there, it's got to be right. I wish I could tell you that that is always true. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that. But the hymnal, like many things, is made by people, and there's some questionable theology in there. However, when we talk about what it means, most of us get a, a little bit more comfortable with it, get a little bit more comfortable. And so it's important for us to talk about the symbols and what they're conveying and those rites, those R-I-T-E-S's, those things that we do in the church and what they mean. Passing the peace is something that a lot of churches now don't do the way early Christians did it. They did it with a kiss. And in a current COVID and post-COVID world, a lot of you are going, uh-uh, no, we're not going to do that. And so a lot of Christians move to maybe a handshake or, or maybe a hug if you were feeling especially warm to the person, right? And then we got to the point where we got to a pandemic and it was really like, mm, we're not going to shake hands, we're going to mm, say hi. We're not going to do that. And one day we might get back to something else. But even what we are doing has kind of shifted. That right has changed over time as comfort levels and customs and culture has shifted. But I can tell you that there have been multiple times in my ministerial career where someone has asked me, let's just get rid of the passing of the peace. You want me to get rid of the passing of the peace? Well, who do you think I am? The Pope? You want me to get rid of the passing of the peace? And I'm like, okay, let's break this down. Why do you want me to get rid of the passing of the peace? They're like, I really don't want to like, touch people. Okay, you're not a touchy-feely person. I get that. I get that. That's all right. There's room for all of us here. Okay. But let's talk about the symbolism of passing of the peace. It means that we are not just people occupying the same pew, the same space for a designated length of time. It does not mean that I simply see you or I simply hear you and therefore somehow we are magically joined. Passing the peace is a physical connection that reminds all parties that we are being woven together, that we are being knitted into the body of Christ, that we are now connected in very intimate ways. And so the passing of the peace has a purpose that right is important in a lot of ways. 
I can tell you that once COVID hit and the extreme isolation of the beginning of that pandemic happened, that I was reminded by some people that that was the only time they were touched all week. Imagine that. Imagine losing that one time when people connected with you physically. Passing the peace looks a little more vital, doesn't it? Now, we can do things to try to make it more safe. We can have hand sanitizer. We can wear masks. We can do all kinds of things to try to make it safer. But do we simply throw it out? Or do we look for new ways to connect? And that is the role of the church. We reflect continually, hopefully continuously, <laughs> and hopefully we do that with theology to make sure that what we're saying is what we mean to say. How many times have you ever said something, you're like, okay, wait, that's not what I meant. Usually after the person looks at you like this. You're like, wait, that's not what I meant. I'm not saying this correctly, right? Because you are looking for feedback as you talk to someone to make sure that you are being understood, right? Otherwise, we could just text each other all day. Instead, when you're face-to-face, you want to make sure that the person you're talking to is resonating with what you're saying or that at least it's making sense it's accurately conveying what you're thinking and you're feeling that's an important thing to do that's why i really strongly disliked when nobody was in here (laughs) i was like i don't know if that works and i'm like sound booth how was it and they're like we aren't even listening we're busy so you need people to give you feedback it's important and what we discover is that sometimes We thought we were saying and revealing one thing, and that is not the message they got. Has that ever happened to you? Makes you feel really bad too, right? Because your intentions were good. You didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. If you did, we're going to take communion in a little bit, and we'll talk about that. But for the most part, I earnestly believe that we are trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be good people. Christ died so that we could be. And so we wrestle with these things, and I'll I'll tell you the time that it really hit home to me, the disparity between symbols. Because I am a lifelong United Methodist. I was born and raised in the United Methodist Church. That is the only church I have ever known that claimed me and that I claimed it. That is it. It is the church. And every church that I have ever been a part of has had our symbol out front. It's a mitered cross with the flames coming up the side. And that cross came into existence in 1968 when the United Methodist Church came into existence. The Methodist Church had a mitered cross, and the Evangelical United Brethren had flames, which are, of course, are symbols of the Holy Spirit. We have symbols all up here, right, on our pyramids. And so we understand symbolism, and we took those two symbols and we combined them. And they are emblazoned on my hymnal. They're emblazoned on the front of the churches that I have attended and served. There's a cross that I have that is emblazoned with the symbol itself. And every time I look at it, like that plate, I think of those churches and those people that I have loved, that have loved on me. I think about all the wonderful experiences I have had. I think about the redemptive experiences that I have had in those churches, in this denomination a denomination that not only allowed me to claim it, but through some miraculous work of God, claimed me as clergy. 
I think about that and I am so comforted and, and warmed. I am so grateful when I see that cross. And it never occurred to me that anybody else would look at that symbol and not think Methodists are awesome people. Because I think Methodists are awesome people. I hope we're awesome. I think so. And I would like for other people to see that cross and go, those are some awesome Christians and I would love to be affiliated with them. I would love to join them in mission work. I would be happy to worship with them and experience life in that body of Christ. But I also grew up in a Caucasian church. I grew up in a church that was vastly Caucasian in a denomination that has been vastly Caucasian. And it never occurred to me that somebody who was not Caucasian might look at my beloved denomination's cross and symbol differently than I did. But when I was 25 and entered into seminary, I started having conversations with people who were not Caucasian. And these colleagues of mine, these companions in clergydom, they started to tell me, you know, that doesn't look the same to everybody. What do, what do you mean? What, what doesn't look the same? And they said, imagine being from my background and seeing a cross on fire. Now, I have seen where that was done to terrify people in pictures and in footage. I have read history. I have heard of those accounts. I have seen it fictionalized in movies and in TV shows, but I myself have never watched as people out of hatred and a yearning for violence put the beloved symbol of the cross on somebody's yard and then lit it on fire. I have never personally seen that. That is not my background. But I have to be honest, there are people in our family of faith that have had that experience. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents have lived through that nightmare. And while it is unfathomable to me how somebody would use the cross to inspire terror, while I find that to be completely incompatible with the love and the grace of the cross, it was the first time I was aware that I loved something that made other people feel bad. And how does that happen? So clearly, the first thing you think is, well, you're wrong, so let me tell you. <laughs> Two overwhelmingly Caucasian denominations decided to come together and create an Uber denomination, and when they did that, they combined their two symbols, and thus we have the flame and the cross, or the cross and the flame, depending on which side of that you came from. And you know what my non-Caucasian colleague said to me? Yeah, that's what you see. That's what you see. But our narrative, our experience of a cross with a flame does not inspire the good feelings that it does for you. For us, it inspires hatred and terror, persecution and discrimination, and usually, the cross on fire was only the precursor to death and destruction of our people. How do you fix that? Maybe you don't. Maybe we can't fix those things. Maybe that's where we start thinking, I know what I want the symbol of our denomination to say. 
I want it to say radical hospitality. I want it to say unparalleled grace. I want it to say family of faith. And I thought that it did. But if it's not saying that to everybody, is the hospitality radical? Is the grace really unparalleled? And does everyone feel like this could be their family? And so we wrestle with those things. And we try to decide what our symbols are conveying. What do our symbols really mean? What do our rights really mean? And unfortunately, rights and symbols change over time. I showed you the example of the passing of the peace. And maybe one day our denominational symbol will change. I have no idea. But it terrifies me to think that somebody that doesn't look exactly like me would look at the symbol of my beloved church and think, those people probably don't want me here. That terrifies me. I actually lose sleep sometimes when I think about it late at night. Because that's not who we are, are we? We are a people that would make room for anybody. We will invite you to our tables. We will invite you into our homes. We are a people that will do just about anything for you. Do you need your rent paid? Absolutely. Do you need food? We've got it. You want your children to get an education? We will cover that. Is that what we're saying outwardly? That's the struggle. Fortunately for us, God knew that symbols and rites will fall short of the glory of God. And so God gave us two things that always work, and those are our sacraments, baptism and communion. And the glorious thing about them is that they're not just rites. They're not things that we just do like rituals. They're not simply symbols. This is not the symbolism of remembering what Jesus did. They convey literal grace. They are the ability to use earthly things like water and fruit of the grain and fruit of the vine in order to let people feel God's grace. You can feel it on your body. You can feel it in your mouth. You can feel it becoming part of who you are as you metabolize it. You can feel it with what you are. This is God passing the peace, allowing us to feel with our bodies what we want to know with our minds, what we need to feel in the depths of our heart and our spirit. God is saying to us, I am going to give you something that is beyond words and symbols. I'm going to give you something that, yes, it has a deep, rich history. The Passover lamb, bread for God's people. The unleavened bread of the first Passover because they had to leave before it could be leavened. The bread that they ate in the wilderness, the manna that God sent from heaven to feed people when they could not plant and reap grain, the bread that Jesus multiplied to feed thousands. Bread is an important symbol. And the chalice, the cup, the idea that from here you will drink and those that thirst will be quenched. God continuously throughout the scriptures gives people something to drink when they are thirsty. 
if they need a well, if they need the water to be cleansed so it's no longer bitter, if they need to make sure that they have access to water for their families and their flocks, God made sure that it happened. If they needed to be saved from the water, Jesus calmed the storm. So all of these ideas, they're there. They're not without symbolism. But the actual core of our sacraments is not an interpretive dance. It's a reality. And sometimes we are gifted the ability to come back as if it's the first time. And they are not all the same. We don't baptize all the same way. We don't even baptize all, I don't even baptize all the same way. I have sprinkled, I have poured out of that font. I have had a hot tub in here for a middle schooler who wanted to be immersed. It is not bound in one mode. And communion is not even bound to this room. I have had communion in restaurants. I have had communion in homes. I have had communion in the room in the ICU. These are things that are not limited and bound by time and space. For God is not limited to time and a place. And so they are bigger. And maybe that's where we begin. We begin at the places that are so rich and deep theologically, the places that are so profound that there really isn't a word or a million words to properly convey how it makes us feel to be claimed by God, to know that God has given you a piece of God's self to be with you every day of your life, or to know that God knows that you're going to be imperfect and loves you even though, and that God says every time you want to be forgiven, Every time you want to know with all that you are, that you are forgiven, you can have this meal. You can have this. For our faith is a lifelong journey. And symbols help us to stay on the path. When you're driving, you are looking for symbols, the red octagon. You are looking for symbolic colors, green, yellow, red. You are looking for the double yellow line, hopefully. You are looking for things. And here we are looking for things too. One of the symbols I've spent a lot of time with in September is this. It's a ring. Did three weddings last month. And every single one of them includes in the liturgy the blessing of the giving of rings. It's not just a Christian thing, and most of you who are married have a ring that at least was associated with it. Uh, like symbols, sometimes we outgrow the symbol and we need to change the symbol around. But the ring has no beginning and no end. And so once you enter into the covenant, the idea is that it will be as long as you both shall live, that it will not have an end in this life until this life ends. And so that symbol is very powerful and profound, and anybody who sees it on the correct finger knows what it means. And so they're looking at what you're conveying by where you wear the symbol. 
So we have to think about what we're saying. And we recognize that some of the things that we say and do don't make sense. We know this because our children will tell us every time. Why are you doing that? That's weird. They'll tell you. They will absolutely call you out on it. God knew this. That's why God told Moses what to tell the people to say. Why are you doing this lamb thing? Because every time we do it, we are reminded that God chose us and saved us. And we chose God. We chose to be saved. And we will do this every year until death do us part. And that's the power of symbols and rites. They can convey entire biblical passages without a word. So the next time you find that you aren't quite understood the way that you wanted, and you think, you know, I'm going to work on this. I want people to understand exactly what I'm trying to say. May that same willingness, that same malleableness, be a part of our thought process and our discernment as we look at what it is that we're actually saying out there. Because I feel like we understand each other pretty clear in here. But when we walk through the doors and we leave this place, are we making sure that we are as clear and loving and grace-filled out there as we are trying to be in here. And that's the challenge. Fortunately for us, God is giving to us the sacrament so that we can overcome our shortcomings and our failures. We can be liberated from those and try again. And above all, God is reminding us that as imperfect and frail and fragile and mortal as we are, God loves us no less. We are God's, and God is ours. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.